We've nearly finished uh, the series on Gospel Gems in Jeremiah, and it's uh, so stifling uh, this morning. I'm not going to be that long, hopefully, although those may be my famous last words whenever a preacher says that. But before we complete uh, this series, there is a follow-up to the main book of Jeremiah, and that's the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And it's not following chronologically what Jeremiah records in his main body of work. He wrote this at the same time, but what we have here are five chapters, and in each chapter you've got a lamentation or a Jeremiah. Uh, that's what a lamentation is known as, a Jeremiah. And each chapter is a poem, and it's like uh, an elegy for the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we, we've witnessed, haven't we, uh, in the war in Ukraine, uh, very vividly with social media, uh, what it's like uh, to see a city, a prosperous uh, city, uh, that's very much like our own cities uh, being destroyed uh, by bombs. We see uh, big blocks of flats uh, riven, uh, as it were, by an explosion, uh, balconies uh, hanging. Uh, uh, we had a very... Uh, moving meeting in church council a month or so ago when Anya and Kostya showed us uh, some of the damage that had been done uh, to their home cities. And th there is something in us uh, that is moved by this. And when it's your own city, uh, then it's really, really personal. After the attacks on New York uh, during 9-11, uh, the uh, poet, songwriter of New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen, he wrote a song, My City of Ruins. And what we have here is Jeremiah writing, My City of Ruins. It's like a, a funeral for the city of Jerusalem. And during a funeral, uh, you, you have somebody sometimes reading a poem and this is what Jeremiah is doing uh, he's standing over uh, this once glorious city of God and he is lamenting he is uh, composing uh, these poems he compares the city of Jerusalem I need to say this and this is going to be a bit unpleasant he compares it to a princess, a woman, a virgin that's been raped. Now, the Bible isn't uh, a book uh, uh, that is PG. Uh, there are parts of the Bible that are very graphic. And uh, I don't want to go into details here, but her uncleanness is in her skirts. Uh, she is naked. They have seen her nakedness. So here is a woman that's been gang-raped, and she's been left there naked and in a shameful condition. 
And that is how Jeremiah is feeling uh, after the fair city of God has been desecrated. And isn't it just like that? If you talk to Anya and Kostya and Yulia, it's as if their hometowns have been raped. Of course, during war, women are raped. Uh, but there is something horrible, horrible about all of this. And when you add to that the fact that Jerusalem wasn't just any city, it was the city of God. It was the place in the Old Testament where God said, I am going to dwell here. Uh, especially in the temple. Uh, the temple contained uh, the holiest of all, the innermost sanctum. There was the Ark of the Covenant. There was the mercy seat with the cherubim looking over it. And there the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, dwelt. And what happened when the Babylonian army besieged Jerusalem? Not only did they destroy the city, not only did they destroy the buildings, not only did they kill the people and take many of them away into captivity, not only did they take the king to Babylon, but they desecrated the sanctuary of God. They entered into the most holy of holies and the place where God in his awesome holy presence dwelt was taken over by the vile uh, gentiles so it 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 was horrendous it was the city of god that had been raped when jerusalem was surrounded in ad 70 by the roman army one of the worst disasters uh, in Judaism, many, many, many of its inhabitants uh, died. It was to the lamentations of Jeremiah that they turned. When the worst tragedy in our memory occurred, the Holocaust, uh, during the Second World War, when so many Jewish people were murdered in an industrial way, it was this book that many turned to for comforts. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, uh, the conductor and uh, composer, he composed a symphony called Jeremiah uh, to not commemorate, but to remember the Holocaust. And the last movement contains words from this book. Isn't that significant? You know, there are some tragedies on a personal as well as on a corporate level that go so deep that not only words are insufficient, tears are insufficient. There are, there are some sorrows that are too deep for tears. And then it's, it's only poetry that can do it. That's why God has given us uh, the Psalms. There are some experiences of the psalmist. He's so down in the depths that there's no point him writing uh, an epistle, a theological treatise. It's got to be poetry. Poetry is the language of the heart, even when you can't weep anymore. Is there somebody here this morning? I'm not comparing our sufferings 
to what uh, Jeremiah endured in Jerusalem, although our Ukrainian brethren will be able to empathize very much uh, with what we have here. But even in our sorrows, we all have sorrows, don't we? We we all have our burdens that we are carrying with us, Uh, maybe even coming to church with a heavy load. My friend, the God of the Bible is a God who understands. Uh, This is why we've got this lovely book of Lamentations. And what I want us to consider this morning is just verse 12. That's too long an introduction, by the way, for a short sermon. Verse 12, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me. Now, when we are going through it, that's how it feels. It feels to us, even if the stresses and sorrows are not as great as what Jeremiah has been inflicted with, it still feels to us, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? We've got to say to Jeremiah, this is not something academic for him. Uh, Maybe it is a bit for us when we watch the carnage in Ukraine, because we are not in it, we're not. But for Jeremiah, just as with our Ukrainian brethren, they can say, can't they, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? How would you feel if you uh, had a bomb hitting your house? Maybe then we could say, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? But I want to look at this verse this morning because there is only one person, and this is the gospel gem, who can say... Is there any sorrow like my sorrow? And when you get to know that person, you will know that your sorrows are taken by him and that he can draw near to you, whatever, whatever your situation may be. It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? The greater than Jeremiah. It is Jesus Christ alone who can say, and I'm not belittling here, what Jeremiah was going through, and I'm certainly not belittling the Holocaust and other human suffering. It's only Jesus Christ who can say, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? Why? Jesus Christ is the only perfect human being. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, we know this, don't we? But I believe it's right for me every Sunday morning to remind you of the old, old story. The eternal Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men, us, might become the sons of God. So the divine puts on human nature and... When Jesus lived and grew up, he only lived for 33 years in this world. He never committed sin. He never intended in his heart to sin. Absolutely perfect. Now, don't take this the wrong way. But when a person is falsely condemned, they may be innocent of the charge that they've been condemned with. But that doesn't mean to say that they're sinless, right? 
We've seen many miscarriages of justice in the world. And what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross was the greatest miscarriage of justice, humanly speaking. But Jesus Christ, when he was condemned to die on that cross 2,000 years ago, when he was 33 years old, what we remember at Easter time, Good Friday, not only was he innocent of the specific charges that they had laid against him, but he, he was perfectly innocent. There was no taint of sin in him. He, he had no stain upon his character. Now, I, I know our prime minister that was, was definitely not a perfect human being whatever one's views are of him. But in a way, who are we to point the finger? I can understand why people get disillusioned with politicians. But Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect. So he can say, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? For me, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God to be condemned to die. That's unique. Let me give you another reason. Jesus is God. He's not just the perfect man. He is the perfect God. He's not two persons. He's one person, two natures. 100% divine, 100% human. So what happened on the cross when Jesus was condemned to die? It wasn't just the perfect human being. The last person you would have expected to have been executed. And incidentally, people are still crucified today. Do you know that? Christians have been crucified in recent years in southern Sudan. So there is nothing unique about crucifixion. What makes Jesus' death on the cross unique was the fact that he was absolutely perfect, and secondly, the fact that it is none other than God himself who is hanging there, that God, man. Now, that to me shows the vileness of our fallen nature. Uh, I, I do miss uh, the park, Heath Park. Uh, I used to look out from my study onto uh, King George V Drive and the park, and you know what they've done? Uh, they've planted one of my favourite trees now in the park since I've gone. Cherry blossoms. Have you seen the row of cherry blossoms? They're only about that tall. Who would want to harm a cherry blossom? Who would want to harm a sapling? Well, some would. Because they've already tried desecrating one of those trees. Now, what has the cherry blossom done to you? It hasn't done anything. Is, is, isn't that the perversity of the fall? That we want to destroy the beautiful and the good. But when you multiply that by infinity and think of the one who created this universe, not just a cherry blossom, but the creator of all things, the one who made you out of nothing, the one who is so good, he's sustaining this world in spite of the evil that men do. 
He is still looking after this world. Why would those who've been created put their creator to death? Is there any sorrow like my sorrow? Jesus Christ said on the cross, I could call a legion of angels. And I could come down off this cross and wipe you off the planet. But he didn't. Do you know what held him to that tree? It wasn't his helplessness. It was love. It was love. To you and to me. So it's unique because he was absolutely perfect. It's unique. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow? Because this is the son of God, the God, man speaking. Jesus' heart can feel your sorrow now because he knows what it's like. And then, do you notice what he says? It's Jesus, isn't it, who's speaking here. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger? The destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians was a foreshadowing of the final day of judgment. The surrounding of Jerusalem by the Roman army in AD 70, as Jesus prophesied in the Gospels, was a foreshadowing of his second coming. All human suffering... The wars, the plagues, all of those are birth pangs before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. But what happened on Good Friday was this. It wasn't just that Jesus suffered miscarriage of justice by those he created. It wasn't just that he was abandoned by his friends. Imagine not just being cruelly treated by your enemies, but being abandoned by most of your friends. Only a few women stood there at the cross. But it wasn't that. Because Christians throughout the centuries have died in such a way, and they've died glorious deaths. But this man, this man cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. This is what makes Jesus' suffering unique. Is there any sorrow like my sorrow? Why? Because I'm being sacrificed for your sin. I'm drinking of the cup which you deserve, the wrath of God. All that destruction which will one day be absolute when he comes again, not as saviour but as judge, has been condensed into a matter of hours, and I am taking your hell on the cross. Good Friday was hell on earth, and it was the Son of God that was enduring it so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. One of the hymns in our supplement says, I don't know if we'll sing it tonight, tell me, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends, through fear, his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deeper stroke that pierced him 
was the stroke that justice gave. The father turning his face away because his son was considered a sinner. Are you ready to face the fierce, blazing, righteous anger of God? I, I wouldn't want to face that. that. That's what will happen to us if we don't have Jesus Christ and his protection. When I went to Jerusalem a few years ago now, one of the most traumatic experiences, I don't know if you've ever been to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. You have to walk through uh, from one end to the other, and it's like a zigzag, and you can't go back. You've got to go through. And you are confronted in photo after photo with the cruelty, which is beyond words, of what the Nazis did to the Jewish people. And I'm going to be honest with you here. I could not handle it. I just had to go through that museum as fast as I could. It was too much to bear. It was too much. Do you know what the word Holocaust means? Sacrifice by fire. And you know, Jesus Christ became our holocaust when he died on that cross. He dies to atone. We sang these words. For sins not his own. Your debts he has paid and your work he has done. Ye all, whoever you are, may receive the peace he did leave who made intercession, my father, forgive. Have you seen Schindler's List? How that wealthy man, Schindler, was moved to save as many Jews as he could from the Holocaust. Can you imagine the reaction of those Jews, knowing that they've been saved by Schindler? Can you imagine their response to him? I'm sure for the rest of their lives, they're not going to forget him. Who his love cannot remember who will cease to sing his praise greater than Schindler Jesus Christ very well I'll come to a conclusion now what's the thrust of this verse is it nothing to you all you who pass by is it nothing Charles Wesley was it Charles Wesley who composed the hymn all ye that pass by to Jesus Tronai, he takes these words and applies them to Jesus on the cross. This is the conclusion. What is it to you and to me, this sorrow of the perfect Son of God on the cross? Look, I've not tried to uh, use graphic descriptions of his suffering in order to get us moved on an emotional level. I've, I've avoided that, right? Because this is a spiritual understanding of what he did but aren't we moved aren't we moved to a degree by the scenes we're witnessing on uh, social media of the destruction of the cities in Ukraine doesn't doesn't that do something to you 
uh, when we heard uh, and saw what Kostya and Anya uh, had to present to us, we wanted to do something to help the poor Ukrainians here in Cardiff. Doesn't it move us? Oh, let us pray. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to take away my sin. I think this is the root cause of our lack of evangelism. It's not a lack of understanding in terms of how we communicate the gospel. It's just we're not moved anymore. We're, or maybe if we are, we're not moved as we once were. May God send his Spirit to us, his people first, just to cause us to be moved. He loved me and gave himself for me. And I can't take it in. I'm gobsmacked by grace. And may that enable us just to share with all and sundry. Count Zinzendorf. Don't you love that name? Count Zinzendorf. He saw a picture of Christ on the cross. And underneath was written, I have done this for you. What have you done for me? And he was saved. And then another reason, is it, nothing, is it nothing when it's eternal destinies that are at stake? I was listening to Desert Island Discs and Simon Rattle was being interviewed. I never realised he's a Liverpudlian, a great conductor, Simon Rattle. He's from Liverpool, the greatest city in the world, he said. And the team, um, I'm getting there, the team, uh, Liverpool... Uh, not Everton, but Liverpool. Uh, they had a manager, I've written this down to make sure that I don't make a mistake, called Bill Shankly. Was he a manager? Yeah, he was. Bill Shankly. And he had a saying, some people think football is a matter of life and death. I assure you, it's much more important than that. That's what he said. Can I take his words and say, if that's true of football, what we're talking about this morning is not a matter of life and death, my friends. It's a matter of eternal life on the one hand and eternal death on the other. The stakes couldn't be higher. Is it nothing to us that our eternal salvation is at stake? Don't you want to be saved from the day of judgment and saved to eternal life, don't you? I want to be. Uh, the poet said, life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not our goal. Oh, I want to implore with you, if you still don't know whether you are saved, don't leave this place until you know that Jesus lived and died for me. That's the only hope. The only hope. And then finally, is it nothing to you that it was for you he did it? If you would have been in Auschwitz about to face death and Schindler managed to rescue you, 
you'd be eternally grateful to him. He did it for me. Even though he saved others, he did it for me. Uh, The hymn again, Wesley, for you and for me, he prayed and died on the tree. The prayer and death is accepted, the sinner is free. That sinner am I who on Jesus relies and come for the pardon God cannot deny. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus so loves sinners like you and me that he's offering this wonderful salvation. Uh, I've mentioned the Nazis. And we had a speaker from Sazra on Wednesday. Uh, Sazra are uh, those involved in witnessing uh, to uh, the army. And there was a man who was chaplain to the Nuremberg prisoners. Would you have been able to visit those Nazis condemned? And there was an American chaplain called Henry Grech, and he visited most of them. Uh, Goering, Ribbentrop, Ribbentrop, I want to mention as I come to a conclusion, he was Hitler's foreign minister. Uh, when he uh, greeted uh, King, uh, was it King George? Uh, let me get this right. Uh, history isn't my strong point. Uh, when he uh, met the British king, King George VI, he greeted him with a Heil Hitler. <laughs> that, that, that's how fervent a Nazi Ribbentrop was. But you know what? As this American chaplain visited Ribbentrop, This is what he says. In the course of several months, he moved from cool, arrogant indifference to sincere questions about Christian teaching. He became more and more penitent, eager to turn from his past. And finally, Grek, the chaplain, believed that God had saved Ribbentrop. And when Ribbentrop was condemned to death, Uh, the chaplain was there and Ribbentrop told Grek he'd put all his trust in Christ. Ribbentrop was then marched to the first of three scaffolds. He climbed the 13 steps to the trap door. He was about to be hung. And Ribbentrop responded when he asked to say last words. Do you know what his last words were? I place all my confidence in the Lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. And then he turned to the chaplain just as he was about to be hung and said, I'll see you again. (laughs) I'll see you in heaven. Was there any sorrow like my sorrow? Jesus Christ took the sins of a Nazi on the cross. He's taken your sins and mine if we trust in him. No one is too bad. Will you be able to say to those who've gone from us, who've died, who've been promoted, will you be able to say, I'll see them again. I'll see them again. Because I've placed all my trust in the man of sorrows. Praise God for a gospel that knows no limits. Uh, Tim, you're going to 
minister this gospel and you're going to be able to offer it to anybody. Anybody. What a saviour for his name's sake.